Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Investigators are learning more about what may have caused the pipeline break that led to 125,000 gallons of crude spilling into the Pacific Ocean here in Southern California. Divers in remote operated vehicles inspecting the pipeline off the coast of Huntington Beach found a bend in it. Upon further investigation, we've determined that approximately 4,000 feet of the 17.7 mile pipeline has been displaced and it's been laterally displaced by 105 feet. That's Coast Guard Captain Rebecca Orr. Commercially procured divers were sent down to assess that pipeline. What they further located was a 13 inch split in that pipe on on the side of the pipe that is a, a likely source of release of oil. Here's Martin Wilshire, the CEO of Amplify Energy, which operates the pipeline. I'd like to expand on one part of it. Um, we, she mentioned the 4,000 feet displacement of the pipeline. If you can picture the pipeline essentially vertically, the pipeline has essentially been pulled like a bowstring. And so at its widest point is 105 feet away from where it was. So it is kind of in a almost a semicircle. An initial report from federal investigators has confirmed the pipeline operator waited more than three hours to shut it down after being warned by low pressure alarms that it was likely leaking. The oil spill has renewed a decades-old debate in California over whether to ban offshore drilling. Congressman Mike Levin, a Democrat, represents the area where the spill happened. Before it occurred, Levin had already introduced legislation to halt offshore drilling. We reached the congressman after he had seen the scope of the oil spill from both the shore and a Coast Guard helicopter. My reaction was uh, really being heartbroken because growing up in Orange County, we treasure our beaches, we treasure our Pacific Ocean, and to see the entirety of Orange County's uh, coastline potentially fouled by oil uh, was really quite stunning. And uh, a reminder to me that uh, the only foolproof way to really uh, prevent oil spills from happening is to stop drilling for oil off our Southern California coast. Uh, And that's why I've called for just that. I've called for a ban on all new drilling along Southern California's coastline Uh, We introduced legislation in the House actually prior to this spill, and uh, unfortunately, this spill provided um, yet another reminder of the necessity to do this. And the good news is that we included the language for this ban uh, in the House version of the Build Back Better Act. I actually checked. It's on page 984. I'm happy it's in there, and I'm going to fight like crazy to make sure that when we finally have the House and the Senate come to an agreement, send a bill to the president for signature, this Build Back Better Act that it contains, among all the other important provisions, uh, this prohibition on new offshore drilling. I was in Orange County the other day talking to people around the Huntington area, residents who basically said, 
we want the oil rigs that are there gone. How possible, I mean, your legislation is about stopping future drilling. How possible is that, that we could close down the rigs that are there in Orange County and off the coast of Ventura and Santa Barbara counties in, in a fairly reasonable timeline, three, five, 10 years? Is that even in the cards? Well, we're digging into those 23 rigs to understand exactly what the useful life is. You know, when you think about this pipeline, for example, it was about 40 years old. And everything I've read and heard about the useful life of, of uh, offshore uh, oil infrastructure is that it has maybe 25 year shelf life. And, you know, after that, you're looking at uh, the potential for some serious problems. We're going to learn a lot more about the age of our offshore drilling infrastructure. And we'll make some uh, reasonable, we'll, we'll read some reasonable conclusions on the basis of that age. Meaning the wind is at your back then, right? This should be easy to do. What's the problem? The problem I would say is that those fossil fuel executives, they have a lot of political power. Uh, when you look at, for example, the campaign finance system and the way that the oil and gas industry is so uh, uh, injected itself into our politics and, and into campaign finance, that's a whole nother series of issues as well. But I would say that the voters and the, and the constituents, the people who are actually showing up at meetings who are talking to me, they don't wanna see any more drilling off our coast. They want to see clean beaches. They want to see clean water. It's not a Republican Democratic issue at all. All right. That is Congressman Mike Levin, who represents South Orange County and North San Diego County. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us on the California Report. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country on what figures like Elon Musk, Donald Trump, Kevin McCarthy, and Marjorie Taylor Greene are doing. I think she wants to make things happen. She wants to get legislation passed. She made clear to me that she wants to have a president who upholds Christian values. She embraces the term Christian nationalist. That's Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts. In other news, Governor Gavin Newsom was at a Fresno elementary school yesterday to sign historic education bills into law. One will expand free access to early pre-K and fund a college savings account for low-income students. Valley Public Radio's Sarith Hawk reports. At Sunset Elementary in southwest Fresno Tuesday, Governor Newsom announced sweeping investments in early education. As part of his California comeback plan, he says universal transitional kindergarten will soon be a reality. Finally, uh, we're in a position to create a brand new grade TK for all. The legislation will help school districts create transitional kindergarten programs starting in 2022. The goal is to make the programs free and available at all schools by 2025. Sacramento Assemblymember Kevin McCarty introduced the measure. 250,000 new kids will get free pre-K for four-year-olds regardless of income. It also creates a college savings account for all kids in California. 
Current, low-income, homeless, and foster youth are qualified to receive a seated investment starting at $500 and up to $1,500. Moving forward, qualified students will receive that seated money by the time they're enrolled in first grade. This has never been done in the United States at this scale. This is exciting. Families are encouraged to contribute to the account, adding investments that kids can later use for college or vocational programs. For the California Report, I'm Sarith Hawk in Fresno. In a split decision, a three-judge panel on the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has ruled that California's ban on private prisons and detention centers is unconstitutional. KQED's Katie Orr reports. A private prison firm and the Trump administration had sued to stop the 2019 ban from taking effect. They say Assembly Bill 32 was an effort to stop the federal government from detaining undocumented immigrants in facilities within California. Loyola Law School professor Jessica Levinson says the panel took very different views of the law. The two judges in the majority say this is about targeting the federal government's immigration power. And then the judge in the minority says, actually, AB 32 covers all types of detentions. It's not just people who are in this country illegally. Levinson says the next step would likely be a hearing in front of the entire Ninth Circuit Court. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Why did some homes in the northern California town of Paradise survive the 2018 campfire, while so many others didn't? KQED science reporter Danielle Venton tells us simple actions, such as creating defensible space around the homes, might have been a big factor. California updated its building code in 2008 to require homes to be more fire safe. Researchers from the University of California and the U.S. Forest Service wanted to know if those changes made a difference in which homes survived in paradise. It seemed like it might be an opportunity to assess whether there are any key messages, any lessons to be learned. Yana Yalakovic is a forest advisor with the University of California and a co-author of the study. Researchers found that newer homes did have better fire survivability, but the updates of 2008 wasn't the key turning point. Even homes built a decade prior to the code update fared overall about as well. The researchers attribute this to newer roofs and materials, less overhead tree cover, and crucially, more cleared space between the buildings. We're only as strong as our weakest neighbor, and we're really all in this together. So when we tend to see loss, it's usually when a neighboring building is lost to wildfire, and then you get significant radiant heat. Which means burning homes spread destructive fire more than burning trees do. The researchers are hopeful the work will help inform how to best build and live in areas at risk from wildfires. For the California Report, I'm Danielle Venton. The annual shareholders meeting for Tesla is tomorrow, and it comes days after a jury ordered the carmaker to pay $137 million to a black worker who accused the company of ignoring racist abuse. KQED's Holly J. McDeed reports. The former employee who worked at Tesla's Fremont plant from 2015 to 2016 said he was called racist names and that employees drew swastikas and left racist graffiti around the plant. You know, it's awfully tempting to say, look, it's not rocket science. It's really caring about your employees and enforcing laws to protect them. Amy Oppenheimer was an expert witness for the plaintiff in this case. I think it might be the largest verdict for a single plaintiff in a racial harassment case ever. 
In a blog post, Tesla's vice president of human resources wrote that the facts of the case did not justify the verdict. She also noted that when the worker complained, Tesla stepped in, two contractors were fired, and another was suspended. But law professor Tristan Green at the University of San Francisco says the ruling sends a message to Tesla and other companies that following up on individual complaints is not enough. Often we're tempted to narrow our stories about harassment, including racial harassment, to individuals, to the personal. And here the judge and the jury saw that there was something more at stake, the overall environment of work at Tesla. Tesla faces a similar class action case pending in state court in Oakland. For The California Report, I'm Holly J. McDeed. And that is the California Report for this Wednesday, October 6th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor. PersonalCapital.com. SF MoMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Support for this podcast comes from ODC Dance. The world-class company returns for Dance Downtown, March 27th through the 31st, with two electrifying programs and five works, springing from cartoon, the news, and human connection. ODC.dance slash downtown. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions. Online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.